everyone diving into Malachi chapter 1. Malachi was a contemporary prophet along with Ezra and Nehemiah. He lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from their Babylonian exile and his message was directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem for some time. The, the temple had been rebuilt um, but things were not going very well in that city. God's chosen people were apathetic. They were holding back their tithes, divorcing as we read later on in the book and it was supposed to have been an uplifting time, a time of peace um, and yet the Israelites who came to repopulate the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors, resulting in poverty, injustice, and an overall deterioration of God's chosen people. Verse 1, an oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Whenever the Hebrew word for oracle appeared at the beginning of prophecy, it meant that God was going to confront, confront something in his people that was problematic. So from the ver very first verse, it sets the tone of what God is going to say. Um, and then there's this pattern of God bringing a charge or claim against Israel, and then Israel responding not with humility, but with attitude and defensiveness. The first claim, the first charge, I have loved you in verse 2, says the Lord, but you say, how have you, how have you loved us? God brings up Jacob and Esau at this point. Why? To remind them that he chose to establish his covenant with Jacob instead of with Esau. So how has God loved Israel? By having chosen them. And he's also making a judgment against the descendants of Esau or the Edomites, since Esau did not value his birthright enough that he sold it for a bowl of food. And the result is that it's they're like a wasteland laid aside to be attacked by desert jackals, implying it's not of much value anymore. Uh, verse 6, a son honors his father um, and a servant his master. If I am a father, then where where is the honor? Do me. If I am a master, then where is the respect in me? If then, if then. God's explanation is very logical here, trying to show the logical relationship of honor between a father and son and a master and servant. And yet, and, and analogizing that to in our in this uh, in our own logical relationship as sinful beings towards God the Creator, where is the honor due to Him? He is God. He is our creator. That means I have to honor him with my life. He deserved my he deserves my best. So there needs to be this consistency in our life between our words and our deeds. If we keep speaking, I think, cheap words to God, calling him God or master, Lord, creator, but then in our actions we don't treat him with honor, then that is how we will despise his name. Um, and I remember when I first read this. A description despising God's name initially I was kind of taken aback thinking I don't think I despise his name that seems so harsh I would never despise God's name um, but similar I think to the Israelites um, when such accusations are given it's often met with denial right and we may ask how have we despised your name and just thought of how an operation of sin is to blind us to make you and me as sinners just less and less aware of our sin and sins and its gravity and I find myself sometimes thinking this way if I'm not regularly confessing my sins or even owning up to it when I've done wrong to others so the people sound kind of clueless asking how have we despised your name and so God needs to get into the specifics it's in the specific deeds that reveal the truth about what we actually believe so in their actual practice of bringing God offering, they brought worthless ones, the ones that wouldn't fetch even uh, a top price at the market. Uh, God blind, diseased animals. God comes out strong in verse 8. Is that not evil? There was a basic lack of respect towards him. And that's why he says, try offering that to your governor. 
Um, how does that apply to you and me? Um, are there times where we offer up thoughtless, unplanned, low energy ministry and think that's acceptable to God? Um, moving on to verse 13 and 14, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts, thinking that serving God is weary, um, concerning it a burden. It's a waste, just feeling regretful toward giving God your best. Um, I wonder if this describes some of us to some degree right now. And if so, I want to encourage you to take some time to search your heart and speak to God about it and, and, and just express to him uh, what you have been finding burdensome and wasteful and regretful towards serving. Um, in verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. What is God talking about here? People were vowing to offer up a male in their flock, and yet when the time came to bring the sacrifice, they brought what was blemished. So he's condemning this motivation to cheat God. And yet why would we cheat God? It's because we have a change of heart between the time of our vow and the time of our actual giving. Um, so no matter what you vow, what you actually bring reveals what you believe about God, what you believe about life, what you believe, what you truly value. Um, and I think this is a warning to all of us uh, as we go through different seasons of life. Maybe when you were single, you had a lot of energy and time. But now that you're older, you have a busier job, you're more tired, you have more commitments. Maybe you have a family now, you have more bills. Be warned of, of this dynamic that um, God is bringing up here through Malachi. Between the time of your vow and the time of the actual giving, the in-between time, pray that we would not try and cheat God. Pray that we would fulfill our vow no matter how costly it may seem when you're offering it, um, but you do so because you made that vow before God. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense would be offered to my name, for my name will be great among the nations. Again, reminder, God is a great God. He deserves our best. Serving him with our best is appropriate. What else deserves our best? Um, I just thought also, what is God like in this passage? Man, God has feelings and he's so authentic. He's so relation relational. He's interested in relationship. He wants a heart-to-heart, -heart, authentic relationship with you and me where he gives himself entirely to us and he wants an equally committed relationship um, with him. So uh, I just hope that uh, this passage really stirs our heart and causes us to really engage in some self-examination and, and, and a responsiveness to him. All right, that's it for today. See you later, guys.